Well, good morning. We want to welcome you today to Brown Corners Church on this, the first day of spring. Can I hear you shout? All right. It's here. Amen. <laughs> We've glad, we're so glad you've joined us to worship our Lord and Savior this morning, to sing His praises, to study God's Word together. Uh, I want to encourage you to find uh, Mark chapter 4, and we're going to finish up that chapter today. And while you're doing so, I, I want to make mention of a couple of things in your bulletin that we have going on. Uh, of course, this upcoming week is Easter week. Today is Palm Sunday, and uh, that means just a lot of activities, but not just activities for the sake of being busy. These are, these are, are things that geared, are geared around towards directing our hearts and minds to focus on, on really the, the, the greatest week in, in, in the church. Uh, we call this Holy Week for a reason. And we have the privilege this week of really putting the spotlight upon the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to make sure I encourage you to uh, look at the center of your bulletin to see our Easter schedule, to see the times and all the activities that are going on. We want to encourage you to be here as, as much as you're able to, to, to join us in worshiping the, the one who gave his life for us and the one who conquered death by rising again from the grave. So I want to make sure you look at those things. Also, uh, many of you saw the table set up today and remembered that, that we're doing the pizza fundraiser for Ines Bauer's missions trip. I want to point out and just make sure everybody is clear on this. Uh, while we were encouraging people to make reservations and to get in pizza suggestions, you did not need a reservation for pizza today. So if you think you start smelling it out there and you think, oh, I wish I would have signed up. You can stay. There will be plenty, plenty, plenty of pizza. And so uh, we want to encourage you to, to come on out and help, uh, help be a part of sending, sending Ines uh, on her mission trip this summer and enjoying a great, great meal while you're at it. And then uh, finally, I, I want you to uh, notice the insert in your bulletin that says love in action at the, at the top of it. Uh, I know it seems like a ways off, but it's, it's really not too far away. But May is, uh, the month of May is foster care um, uh, I don't know the exact title of it, it's, it's to highlight, it's like foster care appreciation month, a reminder of all the, the needs that are out there in the foster care system, children who need loving homes. And one of the ways that I want to encourage our church to just think about uh, helping and, and being involved, and, and there, there'll, be, there'll be other ways that we can, uh, we'll, we'll draw our attention to, but one of the ways that we can be involved, often uh, children, um, when they have to leave their home, it's often a, 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 a middle of the night situation. Maybe there's been a domestic violence, the police are called, and social workers show up. And those kids, often all they can do is um, stuff what they have into a, into a trash bag, and they're carted off in the middle of the night to try to find a foster home for them in the midst of a volatile situation. And so this is an opportunity for us to be involved in a way that uh, will help those kids uh, have something to take with them more than just a trash bag of what was laying around and what was in arm's reach. So I want to encourage you to check out that website and look how you can be involved in, in supporting kids who, uh, who are in this difficult situation through no fault of their own. If you found your place in Mark chapter 4, we're going to begin at verse 35. And you'll, your heading might remind you, and if it doesn't, uh, hopefully the, the sermon title in the bulletin will remind you that this is the story of Jesus calming the storm. The title of today's message is The One Who Calms Storms. Beginning in verse 35, this text 
says this. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him. And they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. And he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus had spent the day teaching. If you remember at the beginning of the chapter, he even was, was preaching from the boat. The crowds were pressing him, and so he went out in the boat and used kind of the natural landscape as a bit of an amphitheater and was preaching from the boat. And so the, the text says at the end of the day, uh, they just went out in the sea as he was. I think that's referring to the fact that since he was already in the boat, they said, let's, let's just get going from here. Let's sail out. End of the day, it was evening time. He'd had a busy day. He was tired. This is the only passage in any of the Gospels that records Jesus sleeping. We know that he did, but it's it's interesting that Jesus was often awake praying when other people were asleep, and now he's asleep when people are awake freaking out. And so as we study this section together... Um, there, I, I want to, our, uh, our outline today to be, to be framed by, by the word great, the, the, word, the Greek word megas, which we get our English word mega from, is, is, occurs three times in this passage, and we're going to see that there are some great things going on. First of all, we have a great storm, a great storm. It says... That when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. A great windstorm arose. As you know by now, they, the, the, Jesus and his disciples spend a lot of time in and in or around the Sea of Galilee, and that's the sea that they're on. The Sea of Galilee is 64 square miles. It's a, it's a big Big Lake. Does anybody know what the biggest inland lake we have here in Michigan is? Houghton Lake. Houghton Lake. Uh, Houghton Lake's about 31 square miles. So if, if you've, you've been on Houghton Lake, you can imagine over twice that size, the Sea of Galilee. It's a big body of water sitting there in the middle of Israel. Um, and, and the way that the, 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 the topography is laid out, the Sea of Galilee sit, sits almost 700 feet below sea level with Mount Hermon to the northeast. 
often winds, uh, violent downdrafts and sudden storms are prone to pop up. Even if you talk to a, a sailor uh, that, is, that is familiar with that lake today, they would tell you how quickly a storm can crop up unannounced. They were in a boat um, about 30 years ago, a Galilean fishing boat that, that archaeologists have dated to around the time of Christ was discovered. Uh, the boat uh, was discovered to be able to hold about 15 men. It was uh, almost 27 feet long, 7.5 feet wide, and about 4.5 feet high. A decent-sized boat, but if you have a squall come along, you can imagine that that boat was being tattered and beaten. In fact, the text, the word that's used here in the Greek can even mean a, a hurricane. It's a, it's a word that indicates an intense Storm, and we're told that the waves were building, were breaking over the, the sides of the boat, and the water had begun to build up. This was no ordinary storm. There had to have been confusion and chaos as men were shouting orders to one another, as even the seasoned fishermen were, were trying to, to hold this boat together, and they had begun to fear for their life. And it tells us in this text that Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now, I don't know why, why um, maybe, maybe you Navy guys can help me, why there's all these kinds of names for parts of the boats. I don't know why the back of the boat is not just called the back of the boat. We've got to call it stern. We've got to have port side and the hull. Why can't it be the front and the back and the right side? And left? I don't know. I don't understand all these things. So I had to look up where the stern was. The stern's in the back of the boat, for those of you like me who don't know these things. And uh, Jesus is, is asleep, and he's, he's found a cushion to take a nap on. While all this chaos is going on around him, Jesus is able to rest. And I just, I look at that, and I think, you know, we're so like the disciples. When things are out of our control, when by our human estimation, peril is certain, we freak out. We get, get so anxious because we're not in control anymore. And yet Jesus is asleep. We're reminded that in the midst of life's storms, God promises a peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense to me how he can sleep through that. I know I can sleep through a lot. The other night when we had that, that storm and it was hailing and apparently there was thunder and lightning, my wife said, oh my word, didn't you wake up to that? Nope. <laughs> it didn't, didn't. Even in the midst of uncertain times, God provides a peace that passes all understanding. And the disciples come to Jesus 
And I can imagine, remember we said at the beginning of this series that Mark gets, a, gets his information, most scholars believe, gets his information from Peter, who would have been an eyewitness to Jesus. Remember, Mark was not one of the original 12 disciples. And so everything that he's gleaning for this, this gospel, he got from discussing with those who were there. And most scholars believe that his, his information came primarily from Peter. And so can't you almost hear Peter being the one that comes to Jesus? Rather than saying, uh, Jesus, could you help us? Rather than saying, um, Lord, I don't know if you see this going on. He boldly speaks his mind. He says, teacher, don't you care that we are dying? The tense in the Greek gives the idea that he says, right now, our life is slipping out of our hands. We are in the process of dying right now. Don't you care, Jesus? The Gospel of Matthew, when he tells this story, uh, he records the disciples as saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Luke's record records, master, master, we are perishing. I probably imagine that that. All the disciples were shouting and that there was chaos. But one of them, probably Peter, said, don't you care? See, when storms rise in our life, that can be one of the first places we go. Rather than than approaching it, trying to approach it from God's perspective, we assume that He doesn't care anymore. We assume that he's forgotten about us. And we go right to questioning the very heart of God. It doesn't matter what his track record is. It doesn't matter how faithful he's been. In that moment, we can go right before God and saying, I knew it. I knew you didn't care about me. I knew you weren't paying attention. And the disciples, even after what they had been through together in this moment, in this trial, in this storm, they questioned whether God himself cared about their problems. Maybe you're in the middle of Your own personal storm right now. Maybe it has nothing to do with a fishing boat in the middle of a sea. But it might be a very, very real hurricane. And I want to assure you, no matter what doubts assail you, that your Lord and Savior does care. And I want you to notice that no matter how Tempted we are to question the heart of God. Notice in this story that Jesus was in the boat all along. Jesus never left them alone, even though they doubted, even though they worried, even though they feared. Jesus never left them by themselves. And I want to promise you right now, based upon his promises in the word, That no matter how intense the storm rages in your life, He will not leave you. He will not leave you alone in the boat. He did not desert the disciples in their hour of need. No matter how much they thought He had, 
and he will not, will not desert you. That's the great storm. But secondly, we see a great calm. A great calm. In verse 39, it says, And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. The word that Jesus uses here, the word that is used to refer to what Jesus did, that he rebuked it. It's the, it's the idea of, of, of just shutting something down, just like that. It's often used of him rebuking the demons when they tried to talk back to him, when they tried to protest. He said, stop it and go. When Jesus spoke to the storm, I mean, just put yourself there for a moment. If you can, close your eyes and transport yourself to just being, a, maybe you can imagine a movie you've seen with thick, dark clouds. Wind blowing so hard and the boat rocking that you can barely hold your balance. You're clinging on to something and, and the, the water's washing over and slapping against the side of your face. And you can barely see because the water's stinging your eyes so badly. The boat is rocking and turning. All you can see is one wave after another crashing over the boat. And Jesus emerges... And all it takes is a spoken word, God authoritatively saying, peace, be still. And immediately the water is like glass, and the clouds roll away, and the wind dies down, so that they can hear the heartbeat of the disciples next to them. Word of God, spoken by God Himself, has the power over all things, including the, the greatest forces of nature. An eerie stillness settles over the ship, and everybody's looking at one another. Nobody's saying a word. And Jesus returns to them. And you can, you can hear the, the sorrow in his rebuke. You can almost just feel the, the weight of, of his, his pain. That they, 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 even at this point, they still don't trust him. And he, he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why, why, why don't you trust me yet? Why do you still doubt? He rebuked their lack of faith. Again, the original language there is, communicates the idea of losing how, heart. Or, or displaying cowardice. And in this moment, Jesus did not coddle them. He didn't just put his arm around them and, 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 and tell them that everything was okay, we all struggle. 
He, he rebuked them. He, he said, you should have trusted me. Why did you doubt? Perhaps today God is calling you to trust him in uncertain circumstances. The, the, the situation around you looks like you have every reason to fear and doubt. I mean, I, I read this story and I, I'm, part, of my, part of me is feeling bad for the disciples. Like, man, I, I know I wouldn't have done any better. And God is calling you today in the midst of whatever you might be facing to simply trust him. To simply believe that he is there guiding you through this storm. You may not get the answers to your what's and your why's. But know that in the midst, you have a loving Savior who is purposely guiding you through to see you through the end. Not only was there a great calm, but then there was a great fear in verse 41. It says, they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Who is this man? Who is this one in our presence that storms listen to his voice? And the wording in the, in the original indicates, uh, literally it's translated, they were afraid with a great fear. Ironically, The fear they have now supersedes the fear they had in the storm. They were afraid before, now they're terrified. Who is this in our midst? Perhaps their amazement stemmed back to the words of Psalm 107. It says, For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and they staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad when the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Who is this man? Tim Keller says that they, uh, he, said, he asked the question, why were they more terrified in the calm than they were in the storm? Because Jesus was as an unmanageable as the storm itself. The storm had immense power. They could not control it. But Jesus had infinitely more power. So they had even less control over him. There's a huge difference though. A storm doesn't love you. And just like the disciples, you might say, I don't know if I can trust God because I can't control him. I can't figure him out. He lets things happen that I don't understand. He doesn't do things according to my plan and in a way that makes sense to me. But if if Jesus is indeed God, then he's got to be great enough to have some reasons to let you go through the things, these things that you can't understand. His power is unbounded. But so are his wisdom and his love. Nature is indifferent to you, but Jesus is filled with untamable love for you. Some of you have read the, the Chronicles of Narnia books. 
maybe when you were younger or read them with your children and grandchildren. You may remember in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, as the children were in Narnia, they had yet to meet Aslan, the Christ figure in the book. And they are with Mr. and Mr. Beaver who are trying to guide them and and they're discussing Aslan, trying to learn a little bit more about who he is. One of the children asks if Aslan is safe. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, we love to know that we can intimately call God our Abba. It's a blessed thing to be able to come into the very presence of God with our request. To have the intimacy of of the relationship that we now enjoy as His children. But we must never forget the God whom the Israelites when they met him at Mount Sinai, when they saw his presence there upon the mountain, and the earth was quaking and, and, and lightning and thunder were shaking the land, these men and women thought they were going to die because they were in the presence of great holiness that they had never seen before. Sometimes we can almost get too flippant about our relationship with Jesus. And we, we love, like I said, we love to know that he's, he's closer than a brother. I once saw someone walking down the street with a t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. On this boat, on this day, when the Son of God calmed the storm and he said, peace, be still, and the storm lifted, there were no high fives. There were no fist bumps. Nobody was taking selfies with Jesus. A holy terror descended upon that boat that day. And the disciples feared more greatly than they did in the storm. Some of us need to be reminded today that we still serve that same God. And we need to ask ourselves, when was the last time I was in God's presence with a, with a holy awe? Where I could do nothing but put my hand over my mouth and bow in reverence. And so finally, because of that, we're reminded that we have a great God. We have a great God. Jesus demonstrates once again that He is who He has claimed to be. The Son of God Himself made flesh. Walking, living among us. Some of you might be reading this story and thinking a little bit about Jonah. He gets on a boat. The storm arises. He's asleep in the boat while seasoned fishermen fear for their lives. There are some similarities, but there are also some contrasts. Jonah is in a storm because he's fleeing from the will of God. Jesus is in a storm precisely because he's doing the will of God. Jonah had to be thrown into the sea to calm the storm. 
Jesus merely had to throw out words to calm the storm. And rather than fleeing from God, Jesus' mission is to bring renewal to the people of God. In Matthew 12, 41, Jesus says that one greater than Jonah is here. In a sense, he's saying, I am the true Jonah. Someday I'm going to calm all the storms. I'm going to still all the waves. I am going to destroy destruction, break brokenness. I'm going to kill death. How does he do that? He can do it only because when he was on the cross, he was thrown willingly, like Jonah, into the ultimate storm, the ultimate waves. The waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us. The storm of eternal justice. Of what we owe for our wrongdoing. That storm was not calmed. Not until it swept him away. And there on that cross as he proclaimed that the work was finished. He proclaimed peace. To all those. Who would trust him? The story reminds us of the great God that we have, the great storm stiller who still stills storms in our lives. We're also reminded that this is a God who can protect his own. Even sometimes when we're unaware that there's a storm going on. There's a story that was printed in Moody Monthly back in 1926, and I read it in a collection of sermons. It's a story about God's power to protect His children. Some of you may be familiar with the name Ira Sankey. He was an evangelist and a song leader for D.L. Moody during his evangelistic crusades. Their partnership began in 1870 when Moody heard him sing at a Sunday school convention, and it went on to span a quarter of a century. Things really took off in 1873 when for two years they held an amazingly successful crusades in Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Glasgow, and London. When they returned to the States in 1875, they were international figures. It was Christmas Eve, 1875. And Sankey was traveling by steamboat up the Delaware River. It was a beautiful starlit evening and many passengers were on deck who encouraged the famous evangelist to sing. Sankey, who was leaning against one of the steamboat's great funnels, gazing at the stars in silent prayer, consented, intending to sing a Christmas song, but felt compelled to sing William Bradbury's Savior, Like a Shepherd Lead Us. There was a deep stillness as his baritone voice floated across the quiet river that Christmas Eve. When he had finished, a man stepped up from the shadows and said, I know this is a strange question, but did you ever serve in the Union Army? Yes, Mr. Stanky answered, in the spring of 1860. Can you remember, by chance, if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night? In 1862, 
Yes, Mr. Sankey answered. I remember that night very clearly. I was surprised. So do I, replied the man. You see, I was serving in the Confederate Army. I saw you standing at your post. And I raised my musket. And I took aim. I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed, while the full light of the moon was falling upon you. At that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing. Let him sing his song to the end, I said to myself. I can always shoot him afterwards. But the song you sang was the song you just sang a moment ago. And I heard the words perfectly. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. He said those words stirred up many memories. I began to think of my childhood, my God-fearing mother. She had many times sung that very song to me. When you had finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. And my arm of its own accord dropped limp at my side. The one who 2,000 years ago spoke peace Be still to a storm. Speaks that today. Listen, this text does not promise that in any every circumstance God's going to calm the storm at the moment we call upon Him too. Sometimes He does. And then other times He stays in the boat with you To ride out the storm. But never forget. That no matter which way it goes. That the one who speaks peace. Can guide you. Safely through. Let's pray. Father. We're reminded today. Through this powerful text in your word. That Jesus Christ was and is God in the flesh. When God speaks. Storms have to listen. And as we get ready to celebrate Easter this week. God let us not be distracted by bunnies and eggs. Some of the other fun things that that come alongside of Easter. But may, may our hearts and minds rest upon the one who became sin for us. The storm stiller became the sin bearer. So that we might not be forever separated from you, but that we might have eternal life. And the storm stiller became the death crusher as he rose victorious from their grave. 
May our hearts be flooded with joyful worship this week as we reflect on the unbelievably good news of what our Savior has done. Father, also just remind each and every person in this room that you are the one who remains in the boat with us and you have the power to still the storms in our lives today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things.